box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Edgley and Derek Dyson for our podcast spun-off for the main show where we go through our highlights of the past week, our teams and moments of the week, World Cup style and plenty more. Michael and Derek uh, really enjoyed the main show earlier on this week but uh, had a lot of fun. I think we all did uh, uh, distilling what we've seen so far. Derek, I was surprised uh, that you didn't choose uh, when you nominated your Game of the Week, the one that we were at and um, Ed, you plucked uh, one out of left field as well but which of you is going to go first hmm that's a pregnant pause if ever i heard one well you know what say hello to me first and then we can choose g'day rob normally you say go first no, look hello rob how are you um, yeah very good loving the world cup we're yeah. loving the women's world cup but I, my game of the week rob is a little bit different mm-hmm. because i'm no, a little bit different aren't I, rob yes you are my game of the week is a friendly match a pre-season club friendly match between club bruges and AZ and, so, and that's why, you know, I, I give it very clear instructions to go for a World Cup brief. And what do you do? A pre-season friendly match. Go for it. But there's a reason. Surprises. There's a okay. reason why. And that reason is that who is AZ Elkmar's? Who is, who is their goalkeeper, Rob? You're about to tell us. Well, it's Matt Ryan, isn't it? Yes. And of course. What am I saying? Who did he used to play for in years gone by? Well, we obviously know who. Club Rouge, and he won titles with Club Rouge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I wish I, I wish I could edit the program and, and just say because we've only been talking about Matty Ryan at AZ Alkmaar for the last six months or so. But anyway, carry on. Look, um, the reason I bring it up is because it was just a fantastic scene. The the place was jam packed, and um, nobody cared about what the result was. By the way, it was AZ Alkmaar two defeated Club Rouge one. But they, the Club Rouge fans spent the whole the whole game cheering for Matty Ryan um, because mm-hmm. he'd returned home. He, he's so popular at that club. It was fantastic to see. There was all sorts of TIFO, banners, signs, and it was just a very good moment. And I thought for me that was my game of the week because um, you know following. Matty Ryan, as I do on Twitter, um, it, it was just fantastic. The images from the stadium, the stadium was jam-packed in Bruges and the Australian flags and the the, the, the big photos of Matty and the response he got, um, it would have made you poor old goalkeepers. They don't get to score goals, do they? But I'm sure Matty's heart was beating and he actually got the megaphone of the uh, Club Bruges active supporters after the game. Uh, he came back onto the ground out of the sheds and... They were all there waiting for him, and he spoke to them for about 10 minutes, and yeah, I just thought it was a, a very good moment. Yeah, yeah no, no. Fair... from all the World Cup talk at the moment. No, no, fair enough, and the Socceroo uh, vibe there, mate. So uh, we've still got the green and gold in. Derek, um, your game of the week, mate. Well, yes, um, thankfully, for, probably from your point of view, Rob, I have gone for a game in the Women's World Cup, and I have gone for uh, Japan versus uh, Zambia. I think I picked this one because a lot of the games have been quite close, quite edgy um, so far as teams uh, feel their way into the tournament. But no, no problems here for uh, Japan whatsoever, who romped home against uh, against Zambia. Um, they were all over them from start to finish, uh, taking advantage particularly of the, uh, you know, getting out wide and getting balls into the, into the box. In fact, one of the players, Tanaka, should have really had a, a hat trick in the game, but she was offside a, a few times. And um, but she played well. And I and call out to Zambia's uh, goalkeeper Mazonda, who 
um, really saved Zambia on a number of occasions. And Japan could have been five up at could have been five up at um, half time, but Japan kind of kept attacking, and there was a lot a penalty deep into injury time that um, got the fifth the fifth goal there um, for for Japan and there. Uh, on three points uh, with Spain, they're at their top of this group. Um, the other thing I like about the Japanese just generally is there was a picture doing the rounds on social media of how the Japanese team left their changing room. It was mm-hmm. immaculate, gents. It was absolutely spotless. They'd cleared all their stuff away. They'd filled all the bin bags, folded everything, and they uh, just wrote Arigato on the uh, on the team board and, and walked out. So... Uh, a lovely touch, and Japan probably in a similar position to Australia. I did go and check the world rankings. I think they sit eleventh, so just behind Australia. And uh, I wonder, Edge, whether um, Japan might be a dark horse for this tournament. Well, I think they are. Yeah. I think they've only got to look at the way they played. Um, the, their goals were delightful. You know, they just their passing sequences, the combinations, the connection, the you know the. Um, just the equilibrium, equilibrium about the team. I, I just, I just thought they were good to watch. And Zambia, you know, they beat Germany. They beat Germany three two. And I actually checked the lineups. So the lineups that Zambia played against Germany in the last game that they played before they come to uh, the World Cup, and and Germany has played against Morocco as we are recording. Exactly the same. The same starting lineups, no change, and famously won the World Cup in uh, 2011 in Germany. Uh, apart from the USA, um, the uh, tournaments uh, been won by Germany, Norway, and the only Asian side to win a World Cup, men's or women's, Japan. So you know, that, yeah, so uh, Japan's um, form again. You know, that's a big win, and uh, I, I thought they were very, very good. They clearly out of these early games, and uh, I think Japan was the most impressive. Well, they made me stand up and take note, that's that's for sure. Mm, okay, good call, Derek. Uh, well, I uh, was fascinated by the England-Haiti match, so I went with that. We had a chat with Charlotte Harper from The Athletic. If you haven't heard that conversation, uh, then tune into the show from earlier in the week. It might not have been a thrilling performance, but England did what they needed to do uh, and won against Haiti. They were lacklustre. They were wasteful in the one nil win. Uh, they struggled to put away chances, and, uh, and they created... Not a lot and looked pretty sloppy in defence. Meanwhile, Haiti ranked 49 places below the Lioness, proved why they're in Australia and definitely deserved their place amongst the 32 best teams in the world. It was a a fearless performance I've seen described on a number of occasions and it really tested Serena Wiegmann's side. But the penalty to Georgia Stanway was enough to give England the crucial three points. It was retaken. She was very fortunate there because the the first attempt wasn't... uh, um, probably uh, uh, up to her usual standard and and England's women uh, have a pretty poor record of converting penalties in World Cups as it is. It was the third time in six World Cup appearances that they've won their opening match though. Uh, Goalkeeper for England, Mary Earps, she was uh, a picture of concentration because she didn't have a lot of action down her end but she was called in to action twice. We've talked about Melchie de Mornay, her strike over the bar. She pushed one away from Rosaline Elisson. It was a real goal bound effort that one. England had 11 on target against Haiti uh, the most on their most on record in a World Cup and um, and the, the, the startling or the, the the most obvious statistic though and, and, and the question mark for them is the fact that uh, they haven't scored in 337 minutes, four games of open play but you know it is worth remembering them 
everyone who's talked about this game has touched on it, uh, that they were pretty underwhelming in their opening match in Euro 2022, uh, then responded with an 8-0 thumping of Norway in their second game and went on to win the tournament. So uh, I think uh, Serena Wiegmann has got the uh, magic dust as, as a manager. She's got the players in the squad, uh, players that, uh, that want to make their own name, uh, plenty of them who missed out in that Euro tournament. So uh, I think uh, we'll see a lot more of England for the rest of this tournament, gentlemen. Um, Derek, um, your thoughts on on uh, on England's women after uh, you watched them uh, battle against Haiti? Yeah, well, the warning signs were there before the tournament, and we were speculating in past podcasts around whether England had, had peaked. Obviously, they're missing an absolute pile of players. We we spoke briefly at the end of the last podcast about how Australia would miss Sam Kerr, but you know, England are missing a whole a hatful of. Uh, players that would be absolutely on the uh, the first 11 uh, team sheet. So, yeah, look, I still think Wiegmann's got that something about her in the tournament. Uh, and I still think other teams will look will not want to play England. I think probably if you're looking at it, probably a team you'd like to avoid until later in the tournament because they've got that, that pedigree. But I think our guest from the Athletic and early in the week was pretty circumspect about their chances mm. it certainly wasn't a uh you know uh three lions on the shirt you know chucking beer in a fan park in south london it was very much you know this this could be one tournament too many uh for mm. for this team it'll be fascinating to see yeah, well, if they peaked too early, they peaked with a title so uh, they'll take that mm. um if that's the way it rolls what's your team of the week mate well you asked me why Yes, Michael. He's sitting there waiting to jump out of the blocks, but no, it's not you. Just settle down. It's for you, Derek. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Mike. You did, you, um, Rob, you did ask me why I hadn't gone for uh, the game we went to for um, our game of the week, but it's because I wanted to talk about Nigeria for our team of the week. Um, uh-huh. You know, I, I felt like uh, this was, you know, obviously a, a very spirited performance in front of, uh, I would say, you know, there were plenty of, Maple Leafs, but there was also lots of green in that stadium, and I, and I felt like the Nigerian fans had the Canadians just for a little bit of atmosphere, a little bit more atmosphere. There was a a great a great um, song that was going around to the to the music of "Give Give Peace a Chance." I think at one point, or "Give Us a Goal" or something like that. I, I enjoyed that one, and I was texting you during the game, Rob, saying you yeah. know uh, you know Canada are the best team on paper, but they were. Um, they, I thought Nigeria, when they actually got forward, had the best of the chances. They were the mm-hmm. quicker. Um, you, you saw a good chance at your end in the first half that was tipped around mm-hmm. the post by the Canadian goalkeeper. There was a bit of a goal mouse scramble at my end where, you know, it was kind of easier to to, to score than miss. So, um, yeah, it was it, it was a highly spirited game. I felt the uh, the uh, the goalkeeper um, uh, on a money had a, had a great game. I think she was. Um, uh, man of the match in the end, and obviously um, saved the crucial penalty. Uh, oh, sorry, it was uh, um, Nadozi who was the uh, the goalkeeper. It saved from Sinclair. Didn't realise we were potentially watching history there, Rob. A shame mm. it would have been six tournaments in the row and a row for Sinclair mm-hmm. uh, and getting uh, getting on the score sheet. But um, you know, I thought Nigeria were well worth their 
penalty. I think, I, I sorry, a third point. I think they deserved it. Mm. The red card came at the end. I don't think that was a surprise. There was some no. very agricultural uh, defending going on at times for Nigeria, and I'm surprised the uh, I think the referee was quite mm. lean mm. Uh, mm. lean on them. But she allowed the mm. game to flow. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a game of huge quality, Rob. Let's be mm-hmm. let's be fair. Oh, um, but I felt Nigeria a bit like Jamaica and a bit like Haiti have, have come out of um, these games as underdogs, but with a lot of credit. So they're my team of the week. Good call, and uh, and I did uh, I did text on that WhatsApp chat. Uh, uh, I was sitting next to a, a, a group of Nigerians, and the Nigerians were definitely the home side for for, for that game. Uh, and uh, and every time Canada had a free kick and the penalty as well, they were chanting "Ova Diba." And I tapped one of the guys on the shoulder and I said, mate, what are you saying? You know, I'm sort of thinking it might have been some sort of Nigerian uh, uh, sort of, um, uh, you know, bad luck kind of chant or something. And he goes, over the bar. And, and I just cracked up laughing over the bar was the way he was pronouncing it, Michael. Yes, so I did see that in the chat and had a bit of a laugh, Rob. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that is a bit of a giggle. Um, yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we'll carry on with your team of the week, mate. That's my, my lame attempt at humour. My team of the week, Rob and Derek, is FC Tourism. Have you heard of them, Derek? I haven't heard of FC Tourism. Uh, please tell me more about the match. Well, FC Tourism is uh, the benefits that go with this event, and they're my team of the week because I was obviously at the match between Australia and Ireland at uh, Stadium Australia, and I had a pretty good look around and thought there was about 10,000 uh, neutrals, which were made up of tourists uh, from overseas primarily, uh, which was terrific. And um, I know uh, the impact of, of the Americans in New Zealand, but um, Australia at the moment is awash with tourists. And it's just interestingly, the, the groups that I'm working with are about a 1,000 um, US college students, about 300 have gone to a New Zealand and about uh, 500 have come to Sydney and about 150 to Brisbane and only 50 to Melbourne. So um, yeah, Sydney's the winner at the moment for me out of the FC Tourism Contest. Sydney is uh, is buzzing with tourists. I just hope some of them get down to Melbourne and up to Brisbane as well. Um, this is a great event uh, for tourism and there's an incredible amount of families and um, professional women and all sorts of um, people and fans of the women's game. But uh, Auckland and Sydney, uh, they're winning the FC Tourism Contest at the moment. And uh, and it's, as they say in the classics, Rob, it's good for football. Exactly. Um, and I am hoping that uh, the USA do stumble and finish second in their group because uh, I do have tickets for the knockout match if they do happen to finish second, and that would be in Melbourne. And um, and if Italy finished top of their group, it would be Italy v USA. So that's, that's sort of – I'm sort of death-riding their performance, not that I'm expecting it to happen, but uh, hoping that it does. All right, my team of the week, uh, we talked at length about them in the main show, but uh, they thoroughly deserve this uh, approbation is uh, the uh, football ferns of New Zealand in the opening match of the World Cup. It was a historic moment, not just for the football ferns uh, in, in the fact that they, they'd never won a match or scored a goal in, in a World Cup. There were 42,000 there um, and they, they just showed how far football has come since uh, women 
in New Zealand and a lot of other parts of the rest of the world were just discouraged or simply banned from playing right up until the 1960s. Uh, previously, the most attended football game in New Zealand was between the All Whites and Peru in 2017. I remember listening to that one on the radio um, that they uh, they in- inevitably lost to, to qualify for the World Cup. For w- the women's team, the biggest crowd they'd played in front of until last year was 13,000 against the USA at uh, Eden Park in, in a friendly. There had been doubts, which we discussed with Jason Pine leading up to the tournament. Many people were asking why ticket sales were underperforming. The football ferns had come into the competition on a 10-game losing streak. They did manage a win against Vietnam, who were respectable against the USA, so that would have given anyone an indication. But, hey, we hadn't seen Vietnam play against the USA at that point. So in hindsight, the delayed enthusiasm might simply have been a reflection of football's traditionally second-tier status in New Zealand. And despite being amongst the most popular sports in New Zealand as it is around the world for children and young people, um, it uh, it just struggles for the kind of media attention of rugby, cricket and even netball in New Zealand. So the World Cup win by the football fans, hopefully that signals an important milestone in the Kiwis' relationship with the game. And if Jason Pine's comments uh, earlier in the week or anything to go by, it feels like it has done that. All right, gentlemen, well, let's bring it home with the hot topic. Um, I'm going to carry on because I'm going to go with the same topic that I went with last week. I was concerned about football the ratings for the Women's World Cup because uh, we'd seen that the that the friendly against France had got a blockbuster crowd of 50,000, but on Channel 10, it just didn't perform. Perhaps an indication of the nature of, uh, of the fact that it was on seven and the fact that it was a World Cup, uh, that um, more than three times as many people tune in to watch the Matildas opening match on Thursday night last week as they did, as I mentioned on the main show of the fourth test day two of the Ashes with the five-city Metro audience 1.24 million on seven, according to the TV ratings agency Ostam. It was the sec- the most watched with almost 50% more viewers than the second most watched program of the night. And in Australia, very rarely do you see the 6pm news bulletin beaten. It drew 827,000 to the 1.2 million. So uh, it, was, it was a brilliant uh, result and hopefully uh, a portent of things to come uh, for the rest of the tournament. Derek, you're a television man. Those sorts of numbers, 1.2 million and closer to 2 million when you include the regional audiences, uh, um, that, um, that's blockbuster ratings. Yeah, it certainly is, and and when you consider that it's going on against a uh, another major significant sporting event to Australians, that we don't need to mention on this show. Um, you know that that's obviously you know the, the super ratings, and I think before the tournament, you know there was maybe a little detected a little bit of anxiety on this podcast that maybe the rest of the country weren't as excited as we were. I hadn't quite got the memo, but. There's, 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 um, there's no doubt that they did get the memo, and yeah, anything north of a million, you know, for for women's football in particular, um, it, you know, is absolutely outstanding. So, you mm-hmm. know, congratulations uh, to the broadcasters, I suppose, but also most importantly, congratulations to the Matildas in particular for for, for uh, you know being that sort of beacon and, and drawing everyone in to watch them. I sure did. All right, your hot topic, mate. Yeah, thanks, Rob. And look, on a, on a very similar subject, I was congratulating the broadcaster before. I'm going to um, n- not congratulate one of the commentators, David Bashir. I know that uh, people always think that I'm the slightly bleeding heart woke person on this podcast. Uh, uh, fair enough. Uh, I do like to surface these uh, issues from time to time. But 
certainly a comment that David Bashir made uh, during uh, the Matildas game in relation to Katina Gori, where um, she was um, had just had completed a very good piece of play. And he said, quote, certainly motherhood has not blunted her competitive instincts, that's for sure, end quote. And I realise that this is three, three middle-aged men around a microphone talking about this, but I did run this past my uh, past my wife, who was not very impressed um, with this uh, with this comment, um, and uh, yeah, look, probably could just do uh, a little bit better. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, apparently there have been no apologies so far either from him or from uh, the network. I think it was a genuine poor choice of um, words, as opposed to um, um, uh, you know some kind of malicious intent from David Bashir. Apparently, he is a big supporter of the women's game. Um, uh, but yeah, maybe just uh, do better next time, and maybe it's time to see some female commentators as well. I don't know how many we have covering the tournament, but such such silly comments may not um, um, may may not be uh, uh, maybe avoided. Yeah, look, I I I, I think. It was regrettable and um, and unfortunate, but as we know, live television it is the high wire. So um, if uh, if he had his time again, I'm sure David would have preferred to, to choose some other words. But but I did happen to notice, and I'm not going to point it out because there are plenty of women covering the game, and rightfully so across Seven and, and Optus. But um, but I did hear uh, one of the female commentators on on Optus the following day after the outrage against David Bashir uh, did reference um, the pregnancy and um, and return from pregnancy of uh, of one of the the United States players so um, so uh, I was just interested in the counterpoint that um, that it, it was a topic that was brought up by a female and um, yes David's words were were entirely different but the, the and, and, and and agree that that he he could have chosen better words but uh, uh, the the um, the fact that I heard the very next day on the Optus coverage, uh, um, one of the uh, the female commentators uh, referencing uh, a player's pregnancy was was not lost on me. I'm sorry, but I have to point that out. Okay, Michael, he's ready to go. He's sitting in the blocks and he's going to jump out of them. What have you got for us, brother? Uh, well, this is my eighth World Cup, um, and there's something missing here that. Um, I was trying to put my finger on the pulse. I just thought it was there's something that's been missing here that was at every other World Cup I've been to. And that is, um, it doesn't matter whether it was Russia or Brazil or Canada that in 2015 with the women or France in 2019. Uh, when you're a travelling fan, every single bar, restaurant, cafe, um, nightclub, wherever you go, all of the games are on television. Mm -hmm. So there is this vibe in the city um, and because the games are happening all throughout the days and evenings, you know, the public places in the city, big screens in, obviously we have our live sites, which you can go and see all the the games at, no, no doubt about it. But um, we're just missing that in Australia. Um, Walking around Sydney the last couple of days, none of the the bars and cafes have got it because they don't have up up to sport. Um, And I I just was thinking back and I went back through uh, the last four World Cups and the local federation and FIFA made a point of ensuring that it was on free-to-air TV. So I think there is a risk of the general... um, the general Australian community person missing out on some of the vibe of this event and uh, a promotional opportunity for football because um, yeah, 
I just sort of expected that the that you know that would be the the case here in Australia, but it's it, it clearly not. I rang, I did um, notice in New Zealand and and talking to my colleagues there that that's not the case. Uh, the Freddie Ware broadcaster's got everything on on in New Zealand. So uh, yeah, I just thought it's a missed opportunity. A little disappointing. There's some French people in my hotel this morning. We're talking about it a couple of t- tables over. They didn't uh, understand why they couldn't watch the other games in the hotel room. Yeah, fair point. And I was listening to uh, the BBC uh, podcast uh, post-match and, and a couple of the uh, the broadcasters were driving down from Brisbane to Sydney and, uh, and they fully expected to pull over and, uh, and, and roll into a pub somewhere in, uh, I don't even know what town it was that they mentioned, and, and there was just no coverage whatsoever and they had to, to hotspot uh, and break through on a VPN just to, to get coverage. So, no, it's a, it's a point well worth making. And Derek, uh, as, uh, as you well know, uh, watching World Cups uh, uh, in the UK, you know, tickets are hard to come by um, uh, when, they're, uh, when they're on the continent. So it's, it's, it's just as big a part of the event, isn't it, to gather in large numbers? Yeah, it certainly is. I think I made I made reference to this at some point during this recording about the uh, the way England, in particular, have, have, have done this type of thing, and creating um, and fan zones and, and places where people can can gather to um, to gather gather to watch games. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 and to be honest, down at Amy Park, apart from that, um, sorry, rectangular stadium, uh, <laughs> I. Uh, um, you know, apart from that one little thing I saw on the wall game, which just seemed to be a giant um, McDonald's marketing um, activity centre mm-hmm. uh, on the way down, and a couple of kind of low-key trinkets in the merch shop, there actually wasn't a great deal to do in and around the ground. That's okay because uh, it was just a big enough experience for my daughter anyway. But um, I certainly feel like that, that it wasn't um, it wasn't like uh, you know the biggest deal down there. No, no, it didn't. It didn't get that vibe. Well, bit by bit, hopefully it will build up and um, the Seven Network are doing a, a, a good job of covering the uh, the Matildas matches. So um, so while we might not see the, the group stages, so we know that they're covering uh, the the knockout phases and um, and uh, the opportunities are still there for, for the match to be promoted. All right, boys. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, it's been uh, another good show. Until next week, Michael, uh, you enjoy the next few days. What's the, what's the next game you're going to, mate? You're not in, heading up to Brisbane for, for the Nigeria game, are you? No, I'm heading back to Melbourne with my work, so I'm actually missing the Nigeria-Australia game. But, um, uh, yeah, my next game will be Canada and Australia. Yeah, oh, just, yes. just a very busy time with my work with all these Americans to be looking after. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and Derek, um, there's still a few games in Melbourne, mate. We might have to sneak out to one more if we uh, if we can. Yeah, I got the got got the bug now uh, for sure, and uh, yeah, I'm going to keep uh, keep the app on my phone, um, and uh, yeah, just in case uh, something happens that we can go to Rob. So uh, right. yeah, all in full flow. Beautiful, and uh, Damo, thank you as well for doing your usual excellent job. Now, if uh, you enjoyed the podcast and you're enjoying what we're doing, please subscribe if you haven't already to Stoppage Time Offside. We're if you get your podcast, tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter. Give us a lovely review if you can. Five stars would be better. Like us on Facebook and make sure you keep on enjoying this World Cup, spreading the, the gospel of football, and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.